When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to World Singing Day. No, that's my stupid. Oh. Nobody read my story. It's National Signing Day. We're wrapping it up. Nobody read it? No. Oh, I wrote a story yeah. about how... People all have typos and they type singing day instead of signing day. So I wrote a whole story about it. Like 40 people read it. Doug Maurice, Bill Landis, Ari Wasserman. to the founder of singing I know, day. You I know. You got to go read it. I did a video. How is sing- singing day different than signing day? Go to cleveland.com. You'll find it. It's the cleveland.com coverage team. Uh, it's national signing day. It's over. Ohio State finished with the number two recruiting class in the country. We knew that. No surprises. Today. They didn't get Marvin Wilson, which wasn't a surprise. They didn't have anybody signed today. Like, I remember, was it three years ago? They did. They had one. Oh, Thayer, yeah. Thayer they knew about Munford it. They knew. Yeah. signed, but Urban Meyer said at the news conference they got, they knew a couple days ago. Like, Von Bell a couple years ago in the 2013 class, he was like a signing day actual thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems like they had get one every year. And, and so it was a little unusual like to if not Ma- have. Wasn't that. Isaiah Prince one? Yeah. If, if Marvin Wilson would have committed to Ohio State, that would have been the Von Bell equivalent. And there was none of that this year. But what I think is, and we'll probably get into this, is most remarkable about Ohio State's class isn't so much the amount of five stars that they have, because obviously having five is big. But, like, most of them are already enrolled. There was no drama. They're in. They're ready. They're competing. And I thought the fact that, like, ten of these 21 people who committed and signed were committed a year ago today when the signing day for 2016 was happening. This was a long class in the making, and to get those guys to hold on to them as long as they did and also get them to enroll early I thought was maybe the most impressive thing about this class outside of just the pure numbers. So, again, 21 players, nine are already enrolled. We talked to eight of the nine as part of this on signing day, which is one of the new things. We've already sort of broken down the class. So we're going to talk about some other things. We talked to Urban Meyer. We talked to the eight players. Again, I can't remember if I said it. Ari Wasserman, Bill Landis, and I'm Doug Maurice. Um, let's talk about who's going to play, and then we'll start moving around a little bit. If you guys have things you want to add, just go in and say it. Um, I have my guy, and it's, this is it's nothing. It's nothing. It's I mean, it's obvious, but it's just – for me, getting two minutes with my own eyes to interact with this kid today, this is my prediction, and I might write this. I think Jeffrey Okuda is going to start the first game of 2017 at cornerback for Ohio State. He is really? the, the highest-rated player in their class. He looks like he's ready to play right now. When I was talking to him uh, on signing day, I said, "How close do you be? How close to being ready are you physically?" He was like, "I'm ready." I said, like, how much do you need to work on with technique and learning? I said, could you go out and cover a number one receiver right now? And he, was, <coughs> he said, yeah. 
and he has no bravado, no cockiness. He said he didn't like being a recruit. He didn't like all the stuff that comes with it. He reminded me of Josh Perry a little bit, just like a really sort of like nice kid who's ready to get down to it. And you can see physically that he looks ready. He's a long corner. Um, and so I was all against Michael Jordan starting the offensive line last year. I think they could plug that guy in. He seems ready physically. He seems like he's going to work to get himself ready, and I think he's going to win a job. I don't. I don't know. Even with the guys they have coming back, I mean, he's he's got the build, man. And, yeah. and again, I'm just telling you that pe- stuff that people who know recruiting better than me have known for 18 months. That's why the kids. One of the top twenty players in the country, right, Ari? I what? mean, like, yeah. to, for me to suddenly discover that Jeffrey Okuda looks like a guy who can play, but that—that's my first impression, and I think he's going to make an impact right away. Well, I think it's important to acknowledge the significance of what you're saying because you are—I'm the guy who says freshmen should play at a place like Ohio State. You should have enough good players; they should play. And by the way, they should play. They make the distinction between play and contribute. They should not be counted on. I think nobody should redshirt. And I think if you play 11 plays, that gives you experience. It gives it makes you be involved. Redshirting is useless at a place like Ohio State. But I also don't think Ohio State should be relying on kids just out of high school to help them win. Which is what he meant by saying he doesn't think they should play. He thinks they all should physically be in the game. He doesn't think freshmen should be relied on. They should be on special teams and in the game in blowouts. But I think Jeffrey Okuda is going to start as a true freshman at cornerback. And I asked him if he's a corner or safety because I had projected him at safety maybe if you move guys yeah. around or whatever. And he just said, no, like I'm a corner all the way. And I believe it. And he seems like the real deal. To Throughout me. the entire recruiting process, I was always under the impression that he was going to play safety. And then I saw him in person for the first time today. Since you know, I mean, got a good look of him, a clo- good look at him up close. Not like I saw him at, at one of the visits he made, and that kid's a corner. You know? Yeah, it looks like one. And and no, so Sean Wade's the other guy, two five star corners. And that's why I was going to ask you: Did you? Why did you make the leap? If there's two five star corners that were sitting there and both were similarly rated, Okuda is a little bit higher rated than than Wade. But why did you make that leap about Okuda and not Wade? Okuda's listed at. At 190 pounds on the sheet they gave us, Sean Wade's listed at 175 pounds. I remember when you broke down Sean Wade in our preview podcast for signing day, you talked about how he's a little bit skinnier, um, and he, he just looks that way. Jeffrey Okuda physically, to me, looks like a college football player. Sean Wade looks more like a high school kid who needs to add some stuff um, physically to get ready to go. Now, maybe his body type, he's just a little bit skinnier. That might be fine. But I just thought Okuda looked thicker and more mature. It's so very I, – I agree with everything you're saying. Um, it's weird because Eli Apple was always thin, wasn't he? Didn't he get – Yeah, and you made that comparison. I mean I, I could see that too. Absolutely. So it's – but Eli Apple's a little bit longer than Wade. Um, I think that Okuda has the, the muscle and the length. So I like the comparison. And if I had to pick between one of the two to start, um, I would pick Okuda as well. But what I do think is, is that since we've already seen – Kerry Combs with a rotation, I would not be surprised to see some sort of rotation with Denzel Ward still in the mix because we always have to bring up, but Denzel Ward played with two potential or two future first-round corners and still played. So I don't want to phase him out of the game plan yet. And then, of course, Kendall Sheffield, who Urban Meyer talked about and we'll get into, um, is a JUCO guy who's been in college for two years who, in my opinion, came to Ohio State because it's under – his understanding that he's going to play immediately too. So it's going to be kind of a thick competition 
there between those guys. And I wanted to throw this out there. I saw this on Twitter um, from people who were covering Nick Saban's news conference at Alabama. And I guess it's supposedly, again, obviously we weren't there, but I read someone quoting Nick Saban who was there that Nick Saban was happy with everybody they got. Alabama has the number one class in the country. The one position where he felt like they could have used a little more was corner. And that's what Nick Saban is known for. He's a cornerback's coach. He loves the long, tall corners. And maybe the reason that he's not so happy with his corners is because Ohio State got him. And, like, I don't think you can underestimate with the way Ohio State wants to play defense and needs to play defense and putting these corners on an island. And maybe this is a new thing. We're talking about – I mean, we're going to get into a lot of stuff here. Listen, you're going to stick with us for an hour. We're just going to free flow on this. What we heard, what we saw on signing day. This struck me a little bit. We're trying to figure out why did this happen this year. I feel like maybe for the first time the change, and it's been three years now, it's been a while, but the change they did with their defense to putting the corners on the island, the press man coverage, that attracted a guy like Jeffrey Okuda. That's what you have to do in the pros. And that attracted a NFL type of corner to Ohio State because he wants to play in that defense. So a lot of things go into getting the top 10 or top 20 kid out of Texas and bring him to Ohio State. But in the mix of things, playing that style defense mattered to him. And it's a great mix of, I mean, it's just like it's just like getting a great wide receiver because you throw the ball. You're going to have Jeffrey Okuda do what he wants and needs to do to get to the NFL. Yeah. And in the meantime, he's the perfect guy to do it for the defense that you are playing and playing pretty well. Yeah, I agree with that. It's, it's like a, a prototypical pro-style quarterback. So probably not going to come to Ohio State because they don't like you want to play – you want to play in a system and a style that requires, I guess, the least amount of transition work when you're looking to go pro. And it's like Eli Apple was a number 10 overall pick, and maybe talent-wise no one thought he should have been that. But I bet part of that was because he played in the pro system on defense, and that worked to his benefit when it came time for the NFL draft. So I didn't think of that. That's a good point. Um, one thing about Okuda, Urban Meyer said on his radio show, before we got to talk to him at 2 o'clock on signing day, he did a radio show at, at noon. And he was talking with the guys who were early enrolled, and he said, with every player who early enrolls, there's like two groups you can put them in. There's like guys who physically aren't quite there yet, have to do work, and maybe maturity-wise aren't quite there yet either. So they work with a lot of the support staff. They work with the strength staff. But then every now and then you get a guy who's beyond that. He's physically ready. He's mentally ready. And he goes and works with his position coaches right away and like gets into football the second he steps on campus. And Okuda was one of those guys. He said, Okuda is ready to go now. I believe that. And it's just – and again, no offense to anybody else, but you don't get that vibe. Again, we talked to eight guys, eight of the nine early enrollees, and I didn't get that vibe from all eight. I don't get that vibe from Tate Martell. No. You know, I didn't get that vibe from – you know, I'm, I'm not going to run down the list. But but that in – a, in a number two class in the country, that kid even seemed separate, seemed different from anybody else, both physically uh, – and in terms of maturity, and then again, asking Urban Meyer, where do you see the impact? Where do you need people? Where do you expect guys to play right away? He said the secondary. And are you, it's a perfect storm. With they, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's we, we, we were talking about it in our office at McDonald's today, <laughs> Wednesday. Um, freshmen don't play at Ohio State, and I, we couldn't come up with one person who came in and started from day one. Could we? Other than Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. So we don't like even Joey about Bosa it. didn't. Even Joey Bosa, like, 
was playing a little bit early on. Then there was an injury. Then he took over as a starter. Well, Even Raekwon McMillan didn't. The thing know, that I have, like the Noah, I don't think he ever answered me. The Noah Spence start as a freshman in 2012. I'd have to. I have to double. Let me double check. You guys go. But I even can't if remember, even like, but this point still stands. It's hard, and I think it requires a perfect storm of things. I think opportunity, and it's not just one position. Both are open now. <clears throat> they lost both starting corners, so they have two spots. They lost two of the three guys who were quote unquote starters, right? Yeah, and Okuda's the number one rated player Urban has brought in from a, a rating standpoint in Ohio State. Uh, classes since 2012. So I think that the, it's the good opportunity for him, and I think there's a reason. I mean, they're bringing in six defensive backs in this class. If there's one that rises to the top, I think that means that they're very, very good. Yeah, for sure. Did I just want to ask this because we didn't get to talk to him on signing day because he went back home for a ceremony at his high school. But Doug talked about getting that vibe from Okuda, about a guy who's just ready. And Josh Myers was not there on National Signing Day, but I know, Ari, you spent some time with him. Did you get that vibe from him when you spoke with him? And this was a while ago. Like. I mean, it's been like, yeah, I think it was like a year ago at this point, or maybe even longer than yeah. a year ago when I went. But he uh, he's the most physically advanced offensive lineman I've ever seen in person for his age. And he had a very mature, the way he handled his recruitment, you know, get an Alabama offer after your freshman year, go on a few visits, commit to Ohio State, and help them put together the class. I think that he would fit into that category, and I think uh, he's not quite as outgoing as uh, some of the other guys in this class, but I do think that there is a maturity and understanding what it, of what it's like to play and be at this level because he's been prepared to be at this level for four years now, and a lot of these guys are still getting used to it. Yeah, A lot of guys come in in their junior year, and they're not top-rated players yet. Myers has been a top five-star prospect since he was, you know, 13 years old. Yeah, Myers spoke very highly of him. Urban Myers spoke very highly of Josh Myers on signing day. And that for everybody who already calls Urban Meyer, Urban Myers. Yeah. Get ready to confuse that. <laughs> National Myers Day. <laughs> the uh, And Urban Meyer, again, in talking about who could play, he did mention both Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis, who Bill has talked about, the two big offensive line recruits as guys he thinks could come in and be ready. Again, do we think that means they're going to start? But I... No, but fighting, legitimately competing to be in the too deep, you know, the the kind of role where you're in where you have to prepare as a starter all the time. I mean, I think that's what they're talking about because, again, I think – There's – the thing is like of the eight players we talked to, four are in the secondary and they were there today. Yeah. And I think it's just so unique the fact that, you know, they have those tiers and those guys who go directly to work with the position coach if – there are four freshman defensive backs who were already here, and most of them are very highly rated. I think that that adds instant depth, and I think it's a situation that Ohio State hasn't been in in my time on the beat. And the guy who's not one of the guys who's not here yet is Sheffield, who won't have to do who that stuff to, to do that play stuff. college for two years. Right. Yeah. All right, so one of the things, uh, and again, if you guys have something you want to talk about, just throw it out. But I thought, you know, Ari's going to write about this. There are a lot of these things. We're giving you the inside scoop early. It's stuff we're going to write about, but we're going to talk it out here a little bit. We bring a list of ideas. If you're a young journalist, when you go to a news conference, have a list of ideas so you can ask questions and have ideas and not just wait for people to say things. Anyway, (laughs) um, seven of the 21 players in this class from Ohio. Ari asked, is that Ohio enough? One-third of your class. It's number two class in the country. A lot of the highest-ranked guys are from outside of Ohio. 
Ari, when you asked both Urban Meyer and recruiting guru Mark Pantone, is this class Ohio enough, what did they say? Flat out no. No hesitation. Didn't beat around the bush. Now, but there, we have a theory about that. I have a maybe. theory. But if you think, and we've seen people write and say, well, you know, this is fine. It's not really fine. I think it's not fine. I thought the ratio and Urban they Meyer said it's not fine. The ratio Urban Meyer said is he wants 50-50. Ohio State has 7 out of 21. So that's 33%. It's not on par. And the question you have to ask yourself is, why did this happen? Is it because Ohio State got everybody they wanted nationally? Or because players in Ohio didn't measure up in this specific year? Because in 2018, that's not going to be a problem. Ohio in 2018 is stacked. And I think Ohio, and I wrote this from Phoenix that Ohio State's 2018 class is basically guaranteed to be elite based on just the players that are in the 2018 class. Um, but why? Why didn't they do it? And when they say it's not enough, is that them saying that the right thing politically <clears throat> out in the open so people in Ohio are not upset by the way they moved it and it's just gonna, is 7 out of 21 or 7 or 9 out of 25 going to be the norm? Or did they really not feel like they did a good enough job recruiting Ohio and when you have the number two overall class and the highest rated individual average in the history of modern day recruiting, it sounds like we're nitpicking. But Doug has a very strong theory about why it should be Ohio-y, and I don't think it necessarily has to do with just how good the players are. No, I think it's the heartbeat of your team. I think it's you can't be bringing guys in and having to teach everybody about the history of Ohio State. You need the guys. You need some enough guys on your team who lived and breathed it growing up. And, and you can do that from out of state. And, and it's weird. We talk about this a lot. And, Bill, you were mentioning this today. I think, Ari, you heard some of it too. There's, a, there's always these out-of-state guys. A lot of them have Ohio State connections. Tate Martell, who grew up in Southern California and went to high school in Las Vegas, his grandfather went to Ohio State. He, and, and Ari's written about this. He's talked about there's photos of him wearing a onesie when he's a baby. It's an Ohio State onesie. So, you know, you can have an appreciation for Ohio State without living in Ohio. But it makes your team better. It's not, it's not um, throwing a bone to the Ohio high school coaches. It's not, or it's not feeling like, well, we have to do this. It's really what's better off for you because you just have that ingrained thing where even when the going gets tough and things don't go your way, you have something that attaches you to where you are other than just – uh, this is where I wanted to go to make it to the NFL or whatever. So I do. I think it's good. 50-50 sounds good to me. And you know what? If, the, if, if, if this class, instead of being 14-7, to 7, was 12-9, to 9, 12 out-of-state kids and 9 in-state, which isn't quite 50-50. It's but the sentiment, closer, I think, more it than it is. If 11-10, you know. So it's only three different. But I mean, but, but part of the sentiment is, well, like you're saying, is, there are going to be times – and here's the thing. There's not going to be enough – I think there are going to be years where there's not enough, quote, talent in Ohio to reach your level of expectation, right? <clears throat> but I think there's going to have to be a commitment in general over the long term that at times we're going to take a lower-rated Ohio kid instead of a higher-rated kid from Texas or I don't California know if they would or ever- Georgia. And it's not about passing up the number 25 kid in the country. It's about taking the number 317 kid from Ohio instead of the number 161 kid from Georgia. I don't know if Ohio State would ever do that. And that we've had this discussion before, and that's 
that's fine. The thing that I found interesting was when Ohio State lost Tyjon Lindsey, they went all over the country to find a replacement wide receiver. They couldn't find one in Ohio. If you're going to take a developmental kid, I think there are certain scenarios where even that athlete from uh, Youngstown. Um, Lynn Bowden. Was an athlete, and he's pretty big and long. Like, maybe add him onto the roster instead of, of you know, if you just need bodies at the beginning. These are the things that I would think. You could have taken the guy that I've deemed Bill Landis's dream high school player, just because we happen to see him at one recruiting camp, and I think they'll talk to him. Yeah. Morgan Ellison, right? Morgan Ellison, or they could have taken the two Ohio team. kids that were once in their class and asked to leave indirectly. Yeah, Danny Clark and Todd Sibley. Yeah. I mean, they, they had. I mean, in the end, you would have had room for Todd Sibley. I get the quarterback thing, whatever. And like, people are really high on Todd Sibley. But. And they need a running back. It's I crazy. It's, I mean, and maybe it was just the fact that they what, what they anticipated happening never actually came to fruition because the deal with Sibley was they wanted him the gray shirt, right? I believe so, and I think that was while they were recruiting Acres, which is what you're getting at. Right, and it's like they Cam Acres. Cam Acres is better than Todd Sibley. Like that's a fact. Who is the basically the number one running back in the country who wound up at Florida State? Right, it's basically like Leden Fournette, but better. But <laughs> yeah. better. But, then, but like in the, in the end, he only ended up signing one running back. Now they're thin at that spot, and I agree that Todd Sibley's really good, and he's from Northeast Ohio, and now he's going to Pitt because Ohio State's guys got a little big when they were look chasing a kid from. Mississippi. And I, I sometimes it's like very hard because without being in that room, I think a lot of times you try to like see things from a linear aspect. Or if it's a running back, then it has to be a running back. And I think a spot is a spot. It's all math. And maybe they didn't feel like he was filling a need for them. Or maybe that Dobbins was a good enough thing. And if they survive with one running back, they were prepared to do that to free up a spot. I don't know what the actual but, reason but, was. But Urban Meyer was talking about, and it's like, I, I hate when he does this. He was like, "Oh, maybe, maybe sometime we should bring you guys into the war room." And it's like, "Yeah, yeah. let's bring it." Yeah. Like, what, I want to understand. What? He always just throws out like, "Oh, why don't we?" He'll say, "Oh, I don't know. You should ask this guy that." Like, "Yeah, can we talk, can we talk to that to guy?" Um, <laughs> but he was talking about, you know, in the war room, they just have a board, and it's just the same as the scholarship grid, the roster grid that you can go find at Cleveland.com right now. What should they Google, Bill? Ohio State football scholarship chart, and let's toss in a Cleveland.com on the end just to be sure. All right. Is that under your byline? You get the money on that? guy's been yeah. swimming in hits. For- Don't be afraid to refresh. <laughs> so he, for example, he said – I think that know, works anyway. Okay. <laughs> you, have, you have Malik Hooker at safety up on the board, and when you figure mm-hmm. out that Malik Hooker is probably going to go pro, you've got to fill a spot. You know, it's all – it's just like an NFL draft room. You know, you have guys – you know, Bill was asking some good questions. Urban didn't go for it, but I don't necessarily believe it. But Bill's asking questions about, like, the receivers and the type of receivers. And, and Urban just said, you know, you get the top 15 receivers in the country that you want, and you're not necessarily thinking about, well, is this guy 6'3", and this guy's 5'9". And I whatever. don't think that that's true at all. I don't all. buy that for one second. Yeah. But, here, but the one thing yeah. is, I bet you they have separate columns for <clears throat> receiver and H-back. Yeah, I bet you they yeah. would look at them differently. Now, if they're really looking at outside receivers and one guy's 5'10 and one guy's 6'5, I guess I believe him that he doesn't say, well, we can't take the three 5'10 kids because we have to have at least one 6'5 guy. But I think we're we're talking – sometimes it's hard with the H-back. Sometimes we lump them, gets, sometimes we don't. I think in that scenario, they don't lump. You get lost in the lingo sometimes when you're trying to ask a question, and I don't know if making the H-back wide receiver distinction might have drawn a different answer. But but he was just, he's just talking about like it's just a matter of looking at who's available and looking at the holes you have, you know. So I think there is a balance. It's like in the NFL draft again, and that's the thing for anybody who criticizes recruiting. It's the NFL draft. 
except the best teams have the number one pick. That's over, why it's over, more yeah. interesting. Yeah. It's like if the Falcons and the Patriots also had the number one and number two pick in the draft, that would be crazy. It's like, oh, Tom Brady needs some more receivers. Okay, well, they could, the Patriots can draft Mike Williams. People will be going <laughs> nuts. So, like, if you don't, it's like, oh, Ohio State needs a couple uh, secondary guys because they lost Marshawn Lattimore and Malik Hooker and Gary on Conley. And they literally took oh. the number one corner in the country. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's a good way. The number one corner in the country isn't going to Rutgers because Rutgers gets first dibs because they stink. You know, so that's why this is even more interesting. But let's get into the receiver question. I think now. the other way would be more interesting, though. They sh- it shouldn't. It sh- it if you stink, a... you should get first dibs on the best recruits. Like, what if Jeffrey Okuda was going to Rutgers right yeah. now? That'd be cool. Yeah. It also would take out any consistency of. It would just be like the parody of the NFL, right? That's the whole point. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like Urban, I know it was upsetting that you lost to Clemson, but are you at least happy now that you have the 116th pick in the recruiting yeah. draft instead of 117th? <laughs> Can you imagine if Ohio State could what get a player? What if we did a recruiting draft? Write this down. Yeah. Just based on the slot. They're based on the slot, the, the ranked nationally. You know what we should do? Because we, we, this is going to happen eventually anyway. Get rid of anybody that's not Power 5. We don't care about them. It's a different level of recruiting anyway. Yeah. We'll take the top 65 65 power conference teams in inverse order of finish. Analyze what their best need is and then give them what their need and is. And then do a do a one-round draft and figure out who Ohio State would have got. Based on need, I think you would do it. Need, I don't think you just yeah. put it. That would be so a, difficult to do. Because before you even start thinking about need, you have to figure out which order to put the nine teams that finished two and six in. Or two and yeah, ten. I mean, we can make that up, though. But like, we have no idea. Like, could run advice or something. We have no idea what. It'd be fun. It'd just take a while. What I don't even know, like the worst team in the ACC needs. It's like, oh, I don't know who should Bill. Who should Vanderbilt, ta- Vanderbilt take number three? Should they take Cam Akers or should they take Jeffrey Okuda? I'm a big fan of best available. Um, but let's talk about receivers because I thought this was. We were wondering about this, and then Urban Meyer really did get into it a little bit. They really ended up chasing on this third receiver in this class. I know, Ari, we were talking about before we came on some of their biggest misses in this class. And I think Donovan Peoples-Jones, um, who ended up going to Michigan, would be at or near the top of the list, along with Tajon Lindsey, who decommitted from Ohio State to top 50 players. So that's two misses on receivers, even though they got two really good receivers in Trayvon Grimes and Jalen Harris. And they ended up really chasing for this third receiver that they signed a couple days ago, kind of out of nowhere, and Urban Meyer sort of talked about that, and then Mark Pantone talked about that. They really, guys, they felt like they had to have that, which to me still is a little confusing. I think the well, I think that they answered it right. Well, it's about practice time and stuff, practice but I don't reps, know if I, I buy thought. that. I mean, get the scholarship chart. They still have. I mean, we don't know exactly who, and we'll get into this in a little bit. The overall numbers, we we still don't know exactly. There might be some receivers who are currently on the roster that aren't going to be on the roster. By the time the season starts, I already talked to Johnny Dixon, who's been hurt um, and seemed to indicate he may possibly be playing elsewhere next year. Um, but did you buy that? I mean, Mark Pantone was talking about you need enough practice reps. They know that Elijah Gardner from Texas is a developmental receiver. He's ranked in the six or seven hundreds in the country in overall player ranking. I just don't. I don't know why they chased like so hard. You have to buy it because they did it. And it's no, one of those things of like. Well, I guess I don't disagree that that's what they believe. I don't know why they believe it. I disagree. I mean, I you and I go, go head to head on on whether or not people should be on scholarship all the time. I think. I think that they've taken a lot of questionable people just because that's what the roster numbers should be in air quotes and not what they need to be. 
And then I think that's why you get into situations later on where in three years, look, we're just using this kid as an example. We're not saying that he's going to be good or bad, but it's possible that in three years, player X that they took when they didn't really have an actual immense need for him turns into a roster burden from a scholarship number standpoint. He could win the Heisman too. I'm not saying right. specifically, but I'm just saying there have been instances in this in this the staff has taken players that I didn't understand they took, and then those guys turned out to be a burden later on. And, so, and, and then they never paid off for the risk that they needed to take. So they ended up with three receivers in this class. Bill, what what are the receiver numbers on the roster that they added these three guys to? Okay, well, let me ask you this. Should I include Brendan White, who might be a receiver, might be a linebacker? So Brendan White's in this class is as, as an athlete. <coughs> you talk to him. Explain that real quick to people. Yeah, he came as, as an athlete. I think he... He played just about everywhere in high school. Um, he Columbus wants this area kid. He wants to be a receiver. They're giving him a shot at receiver. It might be temporary, maybe not. Um, if it is temporary, he'll be a linebacker. But he's a good enough athlete that they want to give him the shot that he wants to take. So I think he's going to get a decent look at wide receiver in the spring. But it's possible come fall that he's back on defense. And he said he has he has two numbers picked out if he's a receiver, and he has two numbers picked out if he's a linebacker. So he's got all his bases covered. That's good. Good to plan ahead. So I think go ahead and count him for now. Yeah. Okay. Fun then, fact about him real quick. Because Bill had to go do a story and I was with him. The first thing that Urban Meyer said to Brendan White in the recruiting process is, what do you think of Michael Thomas? And that was really? a – I thought that was an interesting tidbit. So it's not just throw a guy in who might be able to play receiver. I think that they actually believe he might be good enough. Should I include in this receiver tally – Eric Lover Williams, who has moved to offense and is probably an H. Should I include H backs in the receiver tally? Yes. So Eric Lover Williams and KJ Hill are being counted. Yes. And Brendan White's being counted. Yes. Twelve. That's twelve total with these three, or twelve. I'm plus sorry, the three thirteen. More. Thirteen. Thirteen with the freshmen who are Grimes, Jalen Harris, Elijah Gardner, and Brendan White. So thirteen. Those four 13. guys added to nine existing guys. <clears throat> Correct. So they would have been at 12 without Gardner, and they would be at 10 if they hadn't moved White and Eric Glover-Williams to offense. And then Johnny Dixon could maybe be gone again. We're, we're saying his name only because Ari has talked to him about that on the record. Seemed to indicate it's a possibility. That would be down to nine. Um, and there's a couple guys in that mix who haven't made huge contributions so far. I don't know. I don't think. I don't think that does seem like a number that you had to reach on because Ari. When we talk about this, they could have gotten a really good twenty-five person class this year, right? If they wanted to, we're going to get the numbers in a second. But I give them credit for holding back and only staying at twenty-one. But what you're talking about is if you end up reaching for some guys now, three years from now, those guys might prevent you from doing everything you want to do in a future recruiting class because you reached now. And again, we're talking about the number two class in the country, the best class in Ohio State history. It's one late reach, excuse me, one late reach, maybe if it's a reach, but... They called it a reach. I think you can say it's a That's your point, right? Yeah. That that the, What's the cost? What What's the harm? Because right? it felt like Jalen Harris was the reach. I thought that was interesting because it was a... To go back to the Ohio stuff, you we were like looking for examples of the Darren Lee type under-recruited guy from – like, Jalen Harris had an Alabama offer. He wasn't under-recruited. Yeah, yeah, like, he's, I remember like, lumped him into that. But, like, in the the entire scope of the numbers crunch, he was 
on the verge of being crunched out, or that at least is what it seemed like for the entire class. Yeah. And obviously, losing Tajon Lindsay opened the door. They they would have they wanted and they made the decision of what they wanted to have, and that was him. So when they lost him, that kind of opened things up a little bit. But it seems like they put in a ton of effort into trying to find somebody, a, a ton of effort at that position, as if it was a necessity, and it doesn't seem like it is. There was like Gardner, who they got. Oliver Martin, a receiver from Missouri, who they were very high on. Mm-hmm. Who went to Michigan, right? Who went to Michigan, and then the, James Robinson. James Robinson, who's now at Florida. <clears throat> like, those were the three. Like, it was a receiver. There was, there was never anyone else in the mix. There, there were receivers. receivers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, it wasn't like, check out this offensive guard that just came out of nowhere. They were all receivers. Okay, so let's do some numbers quick now. Um we are the numbers police. Nobody else ever asks about numbers. Very seldom do they. So other people are writing about numbers. We are the ones who try to keep Ohio State honest about this. And we did a, a podcast about a numbers crunch in the summer before this season started. We've been talking about was, a numbers crunch during the season. 12 or during 14. The season. I think it might have been before like they played Tulsa or something like that. It was uh, during the season, I believe. We're always very aware of it. And... Um, at the moment, with this 21-player incoming class, again, on the handy-dandy scholarship chart, we have them at 90. And Bill asked Urban Meyer about it, and I asked Mark Pantone about it. they got to get down to 85. Obviously, they will be down to 85 by the time they have to be down to 85. Right. Um, otherwise, I mean, like, but, but the question is what you have to do. To get to that point. So on one hand, that's five over. There's a couple people who could end up as medical hardships and they would get removed from the roster. And then the rest at this point, the others are transfers. Well, there's one, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ari, but I don't think anyone has ever actually said this on the record, but there is some reports that Blake Hallbeal, the kicker, will not, a freshman kicker will not be on scholarship this season. Very similar to what Drew Crispin, the punter, did last year was a redshirt freshman on the team in practice but paid his own way for a year. So if Hall Beale does that, that gets him to 89. But we've never heard that from Hall Beale, and we've never heard that from Ohio State. And also we're wondering if he's going to win the job, right? Also I very mean, possible, yes. It's kind of, that would be kind of, kind of a stinky thing if he would win the job and you're making him pay his own way. But Win the job over a guy who has a scholarship. Yeah. Because they'd have two scholarship kickers and you don't want that ever. Um. But so here's what I want to but say. But we, 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 yeah, go ahead. But I'm going to give them some credit because we try to keep them honest on this and make them explain themselves on this because you don't want anybody running kids off. And we know it's the reality in college football, it does happen. We're not saying it's happening here. We're just, you know, if, if got, we've seen guys transfer already. Um, some more are going to have to transfer. Maybe it's their choice. Maybe it's a mutual decision. I don't know. But. They didn't push it as far as I thought maybe they would, and they didn't push it as far as I think some other people would have in a similar circumstance when you are rolling and you stop at 21, when you could have gone to 25 and then you just would have been jamming people up. There was a general appreciation for the roster situation, and they did not uh, abuse it. Do they deserve? So while so they we do try to keep them credit. honest, they do deserve some credit, I, right? I yeah. think they do because if you would have asked me, and I think when we were talking about this six months ago, when you looked at just the the numbers and who they had in this class, I was 
certain they were going to get to 25. And if they would have pushed it to 25 when we were talking about them being at 94, 95 right now, then you'd have a major, major problem on their hands. I think four or five spots, depending on how things go, with what they probably already know is probably a really manageable number at this point. Because we thought it was going to be 12. And, of course, five at this point also includes a few transfers that already happened. So they've already cleared some room. Three tra- three players have transferred, and Stephen Collier has stopped playing football. So that's four players who were not even who have come off already, and they're still. So at like we, so they, our projections were kind of right. We had them in between nine and twelve over, I think, the entire time, and I think that that's what they were. They're only five over now because they already have four people leave, and Torrance Gibson is another one. Oh right, so well, but Torrance well, Gibson was one, one of the three. Tra- Kyle yeah. Trout. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. But either way, they've already. The point is, is that they're five over still, but they've. It's not that they're five over without having any transfers. They're five over after a few things already happened, so they still have some more room to go. And like they didn't get specific. Bill asked specifically about like who or what are you guys going to do to get there, and they said we don't know. We'll just. I thought they would because in the past, like. This is the day. Was, day. Like was, I thought, yeah. it would have been like this guy, this guy, this guy. Other medical or like, and he said, "Give me." But something. I didn't, like, and I also didn't take his um, response to be sidestepping. I think that no, he, no. I truly think he was. Yeah. His mind was scrambling a bit because he had just signed this class. So, um, they know. I mean, they're, they're these these aren't talk. Whoever's going to go, I think those talks have been ongoing. Um, but yeah, Remire just didn't answer it today, and I I don't think he was sidestepping it like you said. You? Well, no, when no, I, I when we originally so. the, the point is overall everything we just got done talking about we thought this was going to be a major major issue that people were going to need to be held accountable for and I don't think any of the three of us believe that anymore. Or it's, it's who if they would have put what did they um, miss out on by not being able to go to twenty five that they stopped at twenty one they would have taken Sibley. They might have taken Sibley. They might have had Danny Clark in this class. And I'm not saying – and it's not always about the ratings. It's about the depth and the numbers. I think they would have taken two – if they had gotten a 25, could they have taken, taken two, quarterbacks? two quarterbacks? Maybe. I thought – I mean it seemed like they were going to take two for the entire time. And then Danny Clark moved on in yeah. October or whatever it was. And that's – you know, I thought they were going to take two the entire time. And, and now when you look at the quarterback situation on this roster, you'd go nuts thinking if they had two coming in. Um but I think anytime you have a third-year player or even a second-year player where the writing's on the wall in terms of what they're going to be in college, any coach would take any refresh on that, right? You'd always want to start from the beginning of an unknown prospect and see what he does. Having a true freshman that you that has a ceiling is better than having a sophomore or a junior that has already reached it. Um, and I don't know. Did I say – did that make sense? I didn't mean a freshman who has a ceiling. A freshman who has potential that's not tapped yet based – is better than having a, an upperclassman who's reached a ceiling. Is what I meant. Yeah. Um, should we should we hit some Tate Martell now, or, or do we save it for the Tate Martell podcast? I think we could have an entire quarterback podcast, but I think that you had um, some thoughts about him that you could share. Yeah, that's a good idea. We should do a quarterback. We could do Resetting a who's going to be. That was a popular podcast when we did that. Yeah, for a while, we'll try most listen to podcasts. So we'll reset until we got boomed. You know, yeah. booming up. You know. Thank you for listening. By the way, we yeah. love that the crowd's growing. We're talking right to you. We feel good about it. I feel great about it. Um, I don't like it. I love it. So <laughs> we will do a podcast coming up. Maybe we'll make that. Well, I feel like we need to make the Chick Fil A Nugget podcast. 
when we don't have as good of a topic because the topic's going to be, can we 200 nuggets in a <laughs> podcast? Which, of course, the answer is going to be yes, but I think you want to experience us doing it. So you guys just pretend right now. Let's talk about the face of a, of a franchise and a, a team, the most in shape, on the ball dude that yeah. any high school or college or pro football team needs while we are completely devouring Chick-fil-A nuggets. Seems like a weird combination to me. Yeah. Yeah, I think you might be right. Yeah, no, we might have to do like uh, – We we'll should do, do an offensive Nug- line podcast. Yeah. Or like our favorite jersey stripes or something. Or, yeah, like – yeah, because the quarterback thing is legit. I mean, when we do – we'll do a podcast on who is going to be the quarterback after JT Barrett. We'll make predictions on who the starting quarterback is going to be in 2018, 2019, 2020, and 2021, and, and that will blow up. But – uh Tate Martell actually um, is my first time getting to talk to him. Ari had talked to him before. Ari had spoken with him at Friday Night Lights. You talked to him on the phone. Wasn't as interesting as I thought he would be. Like he, he didn't do any money signs or anything. The one thing is – and I don't actually didn't like this because I'm an old man. But he wasn't wearing shoes. So they, I didn't even notice that. They came out uh, – little inside info here. There used to be a, a back lobby. At the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, um, they called it the Bigs Lobby, um, where they had some photos and there was like some entryways into some other offices, but nobody really walked through there. It wasn't a place for the public to go because now they have a nice front lobby, um, but that's where the media hung out a lot. That's where we would wait to go to interviews. That's where we, they would have tables set up for us to write, um, and they're closing that in because they're doing this whole expansion of the Woody Hayes Athletic Center to build all these new facilities for all these other sports beyond football, which Gene Smith talked about a couple years ago. Now it's happening. So we've lost our area. So many times we would have had tables and interviews with these players in that area. Instead, we had the tables and interviews on the practice field. So these guys came out of their locker room at the Woody Hayes, came onto the practice field, and Tate Martell wasn't wearing shoes. He was wearing white tube socks. And walking around the field turf with all the little pellets, the black pellets. And I think everybody else had shoes on. And it was just sort of like he was like lounging around. I don't I don't know. I don't know. It's it's a very stupid thing, but I thought it was weird that he didn't have shoes on. It's definitely the old man of you. <laughs> I mean, you guys, it is. It's like they're wearing gym shorts in the car on the way to an interview or yeah. whatever. Like, it, it, Not it, on the way to the interview. No, I know, but on the way to – I did to, wear gym shorts to a meeting with the CEO of the company, though. And we got out of the car, and I was like, we were like, where are your pants? Aren't you going to change the pants now? Like, Why? Why would I change the pants? Because you're <laughs> meeting the person who decides your, your fate every single day. He doesn't want to see your knees while he's deciding whether to keep you employed or not. <laughs> he, he knows what's up. <laughs> <clears throat> so anyway. Um, I did change for the record. Tate Martell, I mean, he didn't, he, he didn't get asked a lot of great questions. I certainly didn't have a lot of great questions to ask him today. Um, but it's just interesting, again, this one of Bill Landis' great stories. What does Urban Meyer look for in a quarterback? He talked about it again today. It's all this intangible stuff. It's not throwing us ever. It's winners. And he really hammered the winning point today with great players, not just with quarterbacks, but with sort of the guys who just are winners and walk around. And, and I don't mean this in, a, in any kind of derogatory term at all, but you've been hearing it a lot with Donald Trump. And some of his picks for the cabinet and some of these other things, people talk about how Donald Trump likes a person who looks the part. Seems like Urban Meyer likes some players who sort of, and it's not really look the part, but live the part. 
Yeah. And maybe it's less about how tall you are in your 40 time and how far you can throw it and more do you handle yourself like a winner. And that, right, didn't you get that vibe from him today? That's what he really seems to like about Tate so he Martell. Talks about, every time you talk about JT, he brings that up. And, but Tate Martell won like a maniac. And he, he never was, lost as a starter at Norman. More than 50 games. But again, there's a reason for that too. But. Surrounded by talent. You know, and that's I mean, he's going to be surrounded by talent here too. Um, but I just I am very curious about how this is going to work, and, and let's have you guys figure that see if, what you think of this. The thing that I go back to again, we've talked about this to some degree. When Ohio State played Oklahoma, we I think Bill wrote about the difference between JT Barrett and Baker Mayfield from Oklahoma. We called Baker Mayfield a crazy person. JT Barrett, when things go wrong, he puts his head down and gets four yards. When things go wrong for Oklahoma, Baker Mayfield spins around twice, runs backwards 20 yards, and then might throw a 50-yard touchdown. Tate Martell wants to play like that. He was making a point today that, you know, I can make my reads. I can do everything I'm supposed to. But if you blitz me and a play breaks down, I'm going to dodge that blitz, and then I'm going to make a play. And I just don't, at the moment, I don't know how that fits in. I don't know if I can picture that. With an Urban Meyer offense. Because to me that's different than Braxton Miller. Because Braxton Miller was a lot of running sort of as part of a plan. You right. know, it wasn't scramble like a maniac and then throw. They even said like Braxton's not a great scrambler. He's a great runner. He's a good runner. He's not, yeah. not a great scrambler. But I just don't know if I'm going to see a day when Urban Meyer's winning quarterback is running backwards 15 yards, spinning in a circle, and then trying to make a play. And that seems to be what Tate Martell thinks he does really well. No, it doesn't seem to fit. And uh, you have to wonder, too, like, if that's how – that's Tate Martell is most comfortable, is, like, improvising that way, and you take him out of that and tell him basically not to do that, I wonder how that affects him. Um, JT Barrett, I thought, did that more so this year than we've seen out of other quarterbacks the last couple of years. And I think of the Wisconsin game. And it was just sort of out of necessity. Like if he didn't, if he didn't do it, they were going to lose. But that's not the way that they want to play. And if that's Tate Martell at his best, I think wondering how he fits is a is a fair question to ask because he's not the like JT Barrett feels pressure, dips his shoulder, and takes two steps, and he's like diving forward like a running back just to make sure he gets two yards, doesn't get sacked. And like you watch Tate Martell's highlights, and that guy turns his back on the play. And runs around in the backfield in a circle to throw the ball forty yards downfield. And that's high school football. A lot of guys do that, but that, that's looks, him, that seems to come very natural to Tate Martell. And I think the first time he does that on Urban Meyer's football field, Urban Meyer's head might explode. If that's what he does and that's what he's good at, I don't think you can change him. So I agree with you. You either have to roll with it, or he's not your starter. You try to turn <clears throat> Martell into JT Barrett. I don't think he's a good college quarterback. That's just my my view. No, and, I, but, and then I guess the point is like. Dwayne Haskins doesn't do that. We saw Dwayne Haskins play in high school. It's he wasn't possible doing that, that stuff. Tate and Martell was really good at it and just won't play here because of it then. It's it, and that's because very Ohio interesting gonna, to me. And Ohio State's going to have to live with it if he's the starting quarterback. Because that's – And I don't think any of us thinks that's the wrong way to play. It just seems to be the wrong way to maybe to play in Urban Meyer's It just eyes. hasn't existed here, so we don't know what it's like. like. Baker Mayfield's good and Johnny Manziel was awesome at A&M, but Urban Meyer does not want that. I think it's about what you're physically capable of, too. Yeah. I thought he was better watching the Army game, Tate Martell. I, like, just because he's small, I wondered how well he might run inside. And some of the, the zone reads of, he was Gorman running. had a lot of inside zone. I was impressed by that. I thought maybe he wouldn't be able to do that. And he, I think he's, uh, he's short, but he's much stronger than he looks like he'll be. I think 
he is very good in the planned running game, and he is a run. He is a runner. Yeah. And I think that it's just so easy to look at him and his size, and like if he walked by you in the mall, you would not think that's no. the next quarterback at Ohio State. But I think that he is deceptively strong. I think he's got a pretty good arm, and I think he's pretty athletic. Yeah. And I and I think that sometimes when you just look at him you might underestimate what he's capable of, and I think there's a reason he is what he is. So Ari has been doing this series uh, all week, um, sort of about how this class came together, and I know um, on Friday his plan is to sort of wrap it up with a, uh, an explanation of like why this was the year. Um, but I just want to drop this story, and I thought it was an interesting story that, that Urban Meyer told about, because part of this, and maybe this is actually Thursday's story, Part of it is they've kept some really high-profile guys in the class for a long time. And sometimes getting an early commit from a high-profile national guy, sometimes keeping that early commit is almost as hard or in its own way I think could even be more difficult than just trying to get a commit later on. You know, like I think that the the story for Thursday is going to be how Ohio State kept prospects committed long-term. Um, which is a very thing, a very hard thing to do in telling it through the eyes of Sean Wade, and especially hard a, to do with kids not from the home state. Further away, the higher the rated, the lower. I mean, he said thirty percent that he thought they were going to hold on to that commitment. I thought that was pretty incredible. Um, and then Friday is going to be why did it come together this way? Right, and that's the question. The question of the entire series is how did Ohio State put together the best recruiting class ever? And the first four are are things that they did well, and then part five to wrap the whole thing up is going to be an explanation from the coach's vantage point on why they were able to do it. So, but beyond Sean Wade, I thought it was a crazy story that he was telling about Wyatt Davis, the offensive lineman from California, that Urban Meyer was laughing as he was telling this, that he figured out that Clay Helton, the USC coach, lives in the same neighborhood as Wyatt Davis. So I don't know if Urban Meyer was exaggerating, but he said... I guess he had already gone to see him, so he couldn't go again. So he sent Greg Stadrawa, the offensive line coach, to California on Friday and told him to like sit in Wyatt Davis's neighborhood and I think, I, like guard the house. Yeah. I think that he was kind of joking because if he wasn't, that's a felony. <laughs> Stock. I mean, if he's just parked on a curb eating a sandwich, that's not a. That's, okay. Plus, his windows are down. It's, it's California. <laughs> but it, but it almost a lot of these sometimes these these uh, commitments if they seem too good to be true. They turn out not to be true. And to get a top 50 lineman from California when everybody on the West Coast is after that guy seemed a little too good to be true. And it was interesting to hear Urban Meyer sort of – I mean, I, you know, and Ari, you wrote about it. There were a lot of rumors about Wyatt Davis. Davis always said the right thing. I'm not going anywhere. But, I mean, that's the real deal, right? I mean, like Urban Meyer, I'm sure, was nervous for the last week trying to make sure Wyatt Davis stayed in this class. And, Bill, I mean, you've, you've said you've watched film of him. That seems like a really a really big get. And a, not and Again, I mean, it's a new word. It's not a big get. It's a big keep. That's a big keep for them. He's the best offensive lineman they've signed in the five years that Urban Meyer's been here. And I bet if you went back and looked at all the Trestles classes. Maybe, Brewster maybe. and Mike. Uh, or, um, Mike Brewster was a five-star. Mike Adams was a five-star. Right. But what year were, like, in the last oh, ten years? Last, 2008. Yeah, so... But yeah, yeah last almost ten years, Points the made, best defensive yeah. lineman they've they've signed. Like he's the number one guard in the country. He like Myers, like we said earlier, like Urban Meyer pegged those two guys as offensive linemen who are a like special world, breed who are game ready. The world was shocked when they lost Lindsey, 
I guess it was bound to happen with one of them. To keep them all together, yeah, I mean, that's... And they were all from far away, outside of Myers. Who am I forgetting? The five-star kids in this class. They're all from far Chase away. Chase Young's from Chase Maryland. Chase Young's from Maryland. Trayvon Grimes. Trayvon Grimes. Trayvon Grimes. Grimes. Four, four, but four, but what, yeah. the, what was a five-star at one point, right? Chase Young, the Texas kids, Wyatt Davis, and, and Sean Waite. Yeah. They're all flights. Yeah. Okay, so... Is there anything else, any other little things? Because I have a, one final big overarching question to ask here at the end. Um, and maybe maybe it's something that will turn into a story or a column or something too. Is there anything else little, anything that Urban Meyer said uh, on signing day, anything that any of the players that we talked to said um, that you guys wanted to bring up? Oh, we did. We could talk about – I mean we did ask about um, Ohio State on January 21st had an official visitor who was on a recruiting trip here. Um what was his name? James Robinson. James Robinson, receiver. Son of Florida. When they were in this uh, kind of rush to try and find a receiver at the end of this class, he got cited for marijuana possession while he was here at an off-campus apartment. Uh, Ohio State had not – that had been in the news. Ari had written about it. Um, again, it was January 21st. Ohio State had not commented on it. And honestly – we talked about it, and and I forgot to ask Urban Meyer, and Ari was ready to ask him and didn't get called on the second time that he thought he was going to get called on to ask him. Because um, honestly, nobody else is going to ask about it. So then Urban left, and then Mark Pantone came up, and then we asked Mark Pantone, and it was sort of like, hey, guy who makes literally one one-hundredth what Urban Meyer makes. What's with the drug guy? Yeah. Um, so sorry to Mark Pantone, but not not, not sorry. Um and he said it was a bad reflection on Ohio State, you know, and it's just a little interesting of like, Ari, tell him the point that you've made, Ari. I mean, this kid's a kid from Florida, right? He ended up signing with Florida. But it's not like this guy make, knew yeah. his way around campus. We don't want to make leaps on who and what no. was involved. But but just state a fact. The thing about, I understand about official visits is that when a kid comes for an official visit that he is surrounded by Ohio State coaches or players who are hosts the entire time. And if they're not, explain to me how a four-star prospect who has no Ohio connection is going to be wandering around Columbus in an off-campus apartment alone. Put two and two together. He wasn't alone. And it happened on Ohio State's watch. Who and what and why that happened is not something we have an answer to. But if it happened during an Ohio State official visit, there was an affiliation to the Ohio State football program. And I think that is the bad look we're getting at. And, and certainly it's a reflection on the kid, but it's as much, if not more, a reflection on Ohio State. So, um, you know, it's not the end of the world. College kids smoke weed. It's legal in a lot of states now. Um, we're not going to pretend that, that – I mean, we're not being naive about this. But I think the kid got a lot of blowback he initially almost, when he, the story came out. He did. He almost didn't have a place to sign. And so – I think at, at the very least, Ohio State should get an equal amount of blowback, if not more, at the very least equal. So we have the story up at Cleveland.com. You want to read it. You can read Mark Pantone's comments, and this is part of the blowback. Like that's, that's a failure on Ohio State's part one way or the other to sort of allow that situation to happen. And I'm not going <coughs> to say that it hasn't happened at a million different Colleges around the country, it hasn't happened at Ohio State before. Most of the time you don't get caught. This guy got caught, and it's a bad look for everybody involved. Um, all right, is there anything else? 
Go read the stories on Cleveland.com about the prank that Urban Meyer played on Baron oh, Browning. Oh, my gosh. That's actually really funny. It's unbelievable. Because everyone knew Baron Browning, when he committed to Ohio State, texted Urban Meyer and said, I'm rolling with the tide. Urban Meyer said he threw his phone against the wall when he got that text. Um, and that was a fairly well-known story, I think. He played that prank on Urban Meyer, said he was going to Bama, and then a few minutes later... He told people at the opening, and if right. I were at the opening, everybody on planet Earth would have known about right. it. Right. So that was out there. What was not out there was the fact that Urban Meyer pranked him back by calling him, and Baron Browning's mother was in on the joke, calling Baron Browning and his mom and telling them that he had taken the job to be the head coach of the Los Angeles Rams, and Urban Meyer told us on National Signing Day that Baron Browning heard that and cried. Baron, Baron Browning conveniently left that part out of the story that he cried after he heard the news. But Urban Meyer got pranked and won up Baron Browning, I think, big time. Because that, that's a... And the way <laughs> Urban Meyer told it, you've got to watch the video. Yeah. We have the whole video, right, of Urban Meyer telling the story. There's, a, there's video of Baron Browning telling his version and video of Urban Meyer telling his version. Watch them both. Urban Meyer loved the fact that Baron Browning cried. He was like, he cried. Did he tell you that? Yeah. Did he tell you he cried? <laughs> oh, my... Oh, so good. So listen, here's my final big wrap-up question, uh, and then maybe some one of us should write this. So I did a story before signing day looking at the best recruiting classes for Woody Hayes, Earl Bruce, John Cooper, Jim Trestle, and Urban Meyer as a way to set a comparison for this recruiting class, which we've been calling the best in Ohio State history. There's a difference between writing a class coming in where are they in star rankings? How many five stars do they have? Their overall class, that kind of thing. And then what they do. Because there's still always something about your class. Even as these guys go through and they're part of the team, you still talk about their class. So I think the two best, most applicable comparisons. Applicable? It is applicable. It's applicable. I like when you take a word and then when you change the form of the word, you change like the syllable that you yeah. apply. Applicable. My favorite word's coagulate. Do you guys have a favorite word? Oh. Mine's definitely coagulate because I like you. Anti-disestablishmentarianism. You can't even pronounce <laughs> your own word. My fourth grader just used that word this week for some kind of weird thing at school. Do you have a favorite word? Yeah, but I can't say it. I have to edit out. We had to yeah. edit out a chunk of the podcast last week. We have to edit out another chunk. Um, Boob. Bart, mitten. <laughs> mitten. Mitten? So here's the question. Uh, the 1967 Ohio State recruiting class that had Rex Kern and Jim Stillwagon and, and Jack Tatum, the Super Softs who won a national championship on sophomores in 1968, the 2013 Ohio State recruiting class, Joey Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott, Eli Apple, Darren Lee, Von Bell, won a national championship as sophomores in 2014. Um, is this class going to win a national championship in 2018? 2018. As uh, sophomores. I mean, if on the spot, yes or no, will he win a national title in 18? Because here's the thing, and, and I'm – talk a little bit like uh, – so they only have seven starters to replace this year, right? But there's going to be another load of guys next year. I mean, if you think about it, right, I mean like Billy Price will be gone and Jamarco Jones will be gone and, and JT Barrett will be 14 gone. 14 is the number he said, and, right? And Mike Weber I think could be a candidate to leave early after three years. Yeah. And you're going to have a bunch of the linebackers leaving. Um, the whole defensive line that's back, that whole defensive line practically is going to leave. You know, like there's going to be a lot of opportunity, I think, for a lot of guys in this class 
to play some as freshmen. But if this 21-person class is as good as we think it should be, I think half of them, if not more, should be starters in 2018 in their second year on campus. And if they're as good as we think they are, if they get the quarterback situation worked out, whether it's Dwayne Haskins, who's already here, or Tate Martell or Joe Burrow or whoever, does this, can they win a national championship? I think they can win a national championship. I'll, I'll, say, I'll say no to 18 for this reason, and you kind of hit on it. Like everyone talks about the 13 class and how that was the foundation for the national title they won in the 2014 season. So that group's second year. I think that's weird. I think the, the super sophomore is rare. And I think it's more when you get those guys under their third year on campus is when you really expect that. And that's not to say these guys can't be awesome by the time they're sophomores. But 14 had a great combination of that awesome recruiting class plus guys who had been here, seniors, juniors, whatever they were, from leftover recruiting classes that Meyer didn't recruit. And I don't know if that's going to happen for this group. I think by the time 2018 rolls around, these guys are going to be the majority of the guys who were starting. And the 15 and 16 classes, while they were very good, weren't super deep. And there's a lot of guys who I think have not developed the way they want them to. So I think 19 might be more when, – when this class that just came in is in its third year, and if we're to assume that this is now the norm for Ohio State – and they have another class that's as good as this one in the 19. I think that's more the year you win. I think one of the – I think this class will win one. I think they're going to win one too. I think it would be a disappointment if they don't win one because the only other program that recruits this way is Alabama, and, and Alabama they win wins every championships with these classes. So you, these classes are championship classes. So, And I asked Mark Pantone one-on-one after this, and I forgot because it was an interesting point of how do you rate in your own view the person who puts it together or who, how do you rate and view classes? Um, do you view them now on the day where you can look at them on paper or do you view them after they're done? And he said 2013 with what they did, the draft picks they had, the way they set them up for future, the fact that half that class or a good portion of that class is still contributing to this team now. Um, they won a national championship. He said, I think it's almost nearly impossible to top that. But I can't tell you how excited I am about the class we just put together, and I would not be surprised if that's the same type of result. That class in 2013, 16 of the 23 ended up as legit starters sometime in their college career. I think four of them ended up transferring. So it's basically like 16 of the 19 guys who stuck around ended up as starters. And I think usually you shoot for about half. Um, So that's really good. And again, like the point – yeah, you had the Boses and the Elliots and the Lees and the guys who left early. Um, but you have guys like Tyquan Lewis and Billy Price and Chris Worley and guys who are still around for this season as 50-year seniors who are absolutely critical parts, were critical parts of a playoff team in 2016 and are back as absolutely – JT Barrett as absolutely critical parts uh, of a team in 2017 that's going to be, again, favored to win the Big Ten. Um, I'm going to do – is the headline of this podcast now, will this nas- will this recruiting class win a national championship? Or is someone going to do the imaginary starting lineup in <laughs> 2018 to try to figure out if they can match the 67 and 13 classes of women? I mean, we can do them both, year? but I think that's a good – I think that's like listen to everything we have to say about this and then here's our answer to that question. I think we both answered it. So. Yeah, it can be Did you answer it? I didn't answer it. I just ask the questions. I don't answer it. No, answer it. it. I'm a professional question asker. I'm not an answerer. It's true. Um. Yeah, I think they can. I think they can. Here's the thing that's interesting. Is it too strong to say it'd be disappointment if they didn't win one? No, I feel bad for saying that. No, I no, mean, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Here's the difference. It's not. It wouldn't be a failure. I mean, I think that's always a harsh word people slap yeah. on. Like, if you aren't the best out of 120 things, 
you're a failure. That's a ridiculous thing. It wouldn't be a failure. I mean, they could go, you know, It's whatever. a failure if you're holding them to the standard that we continually hold them. And if you're holding them to the Alabama standard, the fact that they win national championships regularly with these types of recruiting classes means that Ohio State did something wrong if they can't. I think I buy that. And I think I, I understand how big of a thing that is. The national title or bust thing is a, a very delicate thing and something that might just be insane. But I think they've reached the point at this program where making the playoff is almost a, a given every year. And if you have these types of players in this deep of a class and you know you can mix them in with some other really good recruiting classes, they should be held to that standard. I wouldn't say failure, but I would say disappointment. I think disappointment is – I guess it's a different okay. – I would do it like – Same vibe though, you know? Yeah. I mean like failure is sort of like – you failed. Disappointment was like, oh, you didn't win. Here's the thing I think is a little bit of – as much as we talked about Trevon, Trevon Grimes and Jalen Harris, who I think are, can make huge differences in the uh, passing game as receivers, I have a couple questions. Uh, this class I don't th- – uh, uh, um, Tate Martell could probably listen to this podcast and throw this back in my face. I don't know if this, if this class has a national championship quarterback and a national championship running back. No offense yeah. to J.K. Dobbins. No offense to Tate Bartell. Now, I don't think this will matter. Dwayne Haskins or Emory yeah. Jones might be that quarterback. Mike Weber might still be around, or because the class is the t- foundation. It's you not, know, you know. But but again, I mean, if if you know, yeah, you're right. But I mean, then you're gonna. They could use Ezekiel Elliott. I don't know. You know, I mean, that's a really high bar. I don't know if they have Ezekiel Elliott right now on this roster. I mean, I guess the counter argument to that is, like in 2013, I don't think. Anyone thought JT Barrett was going to be what he is. No, absolutely. And no, Zeke right. Elliott was a better national prospect, but still, like it wasn't like they went out and got Derrick Henry. And it's like, it's not all or nothing on everybody in the class. No, it's just whether you, or not 14 out of the 21 or even 12 out of the 21 turn out to be studs. Right. And again, I mean, Clemson didn't have a first round pick running back this year. They just had a stud quarterback and a crazy receiver and a bunch of good defenders. And yeah. Um, so it's really interesting. It's fun. I mean, it's 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 really this is going to be an interesting group um, to watch them move through this, and then it's going to be interesting as Ari's already getting jump on in 2018. Ohio's going to be better. I think you can expect a more uh, a greater number of Ohio players, um, and then you know maybe they add a five star defensive tackle. Maybe they add a five star running back because. You know, they don't need to focus on receiver as much. They don't need to focus on the secondary as much, you know, because they really filled in in some places with this class. So that'll do it. Um, we didn't answer questions. I'm sorry. Oh. No, it's okay. How many well, we, we hit? We got a few. We hit on a lot of them, I think. Is there one? Give us one that we didn't hit if there's one floating. Okay, I'll ask this to Ari because this is an interesting question that I'm sure you'll be exploring more. I've been up five since 545. From, G, from G. Nilly. Ah, G. G was giving me a hard time the other day. Michigan signed five-star defensive tackle from Georgia, Aubrey Solomon, on National Signing Day. Why can Michigan land five-star defensive tackles from the South when Ohio State can't? The silences are on purpose. I don't know. It's kind of inexplicable. It's, it's very, How do you like, answer that question? They got one last year, and it was Rashawn Garrett. He's from New Jersey, and Jim Harbaugh hired his high school coach. So, like, that one makes sense. Now they got one from Georgia who is – We explored yeah. the defensive tackle. It's really hard. We explored the defensive tackle situation, and we acknowledged that it's there. And it's like – it's it's 
kind of hard to really give them too much of a hard time when their defensive tackle they got is the number six one in the country. Haskell Garrett. But I think that there is a clear difference between a guy like Garrett and a guy like Marvin Wilson. And the difference in defensive tackles between number one and number six is drastic. And why has Ohio State not been able to land the Okuda version of the defensive tackle in the Urban Meyer era is an interesting, interesting point. Especially because he took one from Ohio State while at Florida in Sharif Floyd. And this is all in the story. Why? I can't answer. I don't know why. Because honestly, Larry Johnson's a good recruiter, right? I mean, it ends. I mean, I think sometimes you could... You know, you can look at the position coach if you felt like the position coach is always involved in the recruitment, right? If you felt like, boy, this, this, they're just they're falling short at a certain. They get position. ends, but I don't think that I don't think anybody would ever argue that Larry Johnson can't recruit. You know, so yeah, I mean, they've had a five-star defensive end in every class, and they've been close. Year. You know, they yeah. were in the mix. They were in the mix for Marvin Wilson. They were in the mix for Dexter, Dexter Lawrence last year. They've been around. They get them for officials. They just don't seal the deal. Uh, it's a good question. And I, wrote, I wrote about that. Go check it out. Why Ohio State can't land Dexter Lawrence as the headline because I wrote it from the uh, Fiesta Bowl in the playoff. Um, but it kind of goes through the numbers and the recruits and the prospects and where they ended up. And I think it's pretty interesting. So, All right. So thanks for listening. Um, we got a lot of stuff on Wednesday on National Signing Day. So we're going to be dropping it um, probably for the next week. You're still going to be seeing us roll out stuff that we got on Signing Day. Um and there's more ahead. We got some stuff. We're going to probably talk, get to talk to the new assistants sometimes in the next, in the next couple of weeks. We haven't talked to Kevin Wilson or Ryan Day or Bill Davis yet, um, but hopefully we will. And then before you know it, start of spring practice is going to be here, and the spring game is April 15th if you haven't written it down. So write it down. What's the date? April 1-5. Is that earlier than usual? Saturday. No, it's that's, Saturday before Easter. That's usually when it is now. I think it used to be a little bit later, but that's usually one of the I think days. spring ball and I might be I think spring ball starts March seventh. Tuesday, March seventh, I believe, is the day spring ball starts. All right. So five weeks. Um, all right. Thank you for listening. You can find our work at cleveland.com slash OSU. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Bill Landis25, at Doug Maurice, and at Ari Wasserman. For now, for Ari, for Bill, I'm Doug, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>